Welcome back to Following Noah on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 168, and we are into part four of The Well of Ascension by Brandon Sanderson. Elliot, how are you? I'm doing, I'm doing good, doing good. The last couple episodes, I think, I've threat, threatened, maybe? I don't know. Begged, asked, threatened Sanderson that I needed to have my Sanderlanch soon. And I, I think I got my answer by the by the end of this episode we covered. I I think we've started it. I think. Well. I will make no comments on said Sanderlanch, but I'm uh, really excited about our chapters. And uh as always, I'm excited to get into this. I'm excited to talk about it. Um just as a blanket thought. Um, kind of as we go forward. Um, I think Well of Ascension gets uh, a common thought I have had regarding it, and I think other people may have, is that it has uh, middle book syndrome. And whereas in some instances that's true. Um, I will say, I, I think Brandon Sanderson does a fantastic job of just making it engaging. Um, I was nervous about rereading it and that I wouldn't be super engaged, and I think he's proven me wrong. Um, and there's just a lot of neat like things that are revealed. So, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. I'm also excited to talk about it. Well, what I will say about the Well of Ascension, just as a real quick thing, I, I think Brandon Sanderson spends too much time on things that I'm not interested in um, in the Well of Ascension. I think there's a little bit too much time on Set and Straff which I don't really care about. And by the end of maybe next week, I hope one of them's dead. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, by the end of this episode, almost one of them's dead. Um, but let's uh, roll intro, and then we'll have Elliot summarize what does happen from chapters 39 through 43. Okay, Elliot, can I get a brief summary for those of our listeners who haven't read it recently? Of course. So we just setting the scene a little bit. Prior to this, we just are we're coming off of the assassination scene where the assassins show up like at the vote to pick a king and they attack everybody. It's Extremely violent and rather epic, and Vin smashes people in rather bloody ways and takes quite a bit of damage herself. So then 39 kind of takes us out of that. Uh, let's see. We discover that Lord Penrod, who has now been elected king, still kind of wondering about the whole elected king thing, but elected king, we find out he's got some kind of backroom deal with Straff Venture, so... Q political intrigue soundbite there. And uh, Zane and Straff are still trying to kill each other, as always. We pick up with Vin recovering. As I said, she took quite a bit of damage, so she is uh, she is recovering and trying to um, get back to her normal self. She has some very interesting conversations with her Chandra or Sur. Sezed and Tindwell are still hard at work at their research. I feel like they've been doing that 
for quite a while. It seems like every time we stop in with them, they're just doing research and they're they're doing more of that. And let's see, Ellen does a incredibly reckless thing and goes and visits the Coloss army and confronts Jastes and has a, a conversation with him. And then here in the last scene, we this is where I kind of feel like we're pretty firmly in Sander Lynch territory, I would guess so, as Zane and Vin attack Set and have some pretty pretty crazy scenes as they go uh, all guns blazing into Set's place and wipe out his people and almost, but don't, kill Set and his son. And that's where we close out at the end of chapter 43. Thank you very much. I don't think at the end of this episode, but maybe at the end of next episode, I'm going to get, I'm going to ask for some solid predictions from you, Elliot, what does happen before the end of the book and what doesn't, because yes, I agree with you that specifically chapter 43 does feel way more. It feels like we're done building and we're, we're starting to the right jump down the sander lanch as you will um so that the siege yeah. has been going on since literally the first line of the book um and at the end of chapter 43 there's a major event that i think will change the dynamic um and and start something so um what i was not what, what i did not remember at all was penrod getting elected king i didn't remember that happened and then at the end, at the beginning of chapter 39, which is the first chapter of part four, he's already in like this secret meeting with Straff to hand over the city. I didn't remember this at all. Um, so when I read this, I was like, whoa, uh, I don't, I don't, it, it dawned on me then that I don't remember what happens to Luthadel. I'll be honest. I, I can make like actual guesses on who actually ends up with Luthadel at the end of the book. Um, Cause I don't remember. So that this whole dynamic of Penrod, Ellen, Straff, Set, and Jasties, um, and who's going to end up where at the end of the book, I, I really don't remember. So. So I will say Trevor, for one, I, I do remember <laughs> and I think you'll enjoy it. It's, it's a great book, you know, um, but so you made a comment that you don't really care about set or straff, you know. Correct. Um, maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm quoting you wrong, but that's what I remember hearing. So I will say, I kind of understand what you mean, kind of, but not really. I kind of understand what you mean because I imagine you're way more interested in maybe like Ellen and Sazed and. Uh, Vin and Zane, you know, like like there's a lot of like um dynamics going on there, right? But I don't think those dynamics would be so interesting without Set and Straff. For one, if 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 it was just an ambiguous army, like there's a big army on your doorstep, but we didn't know who was leading it, you know, that'd still be daunting, but like we we see both Straff and Set. Like we we get to meet them. Straff is obviously like the more villainous one, I think, in our mind because his relationship to Ellen, and just like he is really like really vile and really doesn't care. 
like like really does not care about anything else just kind of like himself if you will and set is the same way but like set is a unique character of he's like i am bad and i will tell you straight up that i am bad kind of thing right whereas draft i feel like has kind of like a won't give anyone that sort of satisfaction either there's a whole lot you could unpack with them but all that to say um trevor kind of offhandedly said he didn't like them but i would like to say that i do like them as villains like they're obviously horrible but like i think they play an important role and it's very interesting i will say this could be too big of a tangent but sets character specifically i think is maybe less integral it's kind of funky of like he comes onto the scene and it's like oh he's gonna take the city like he's gonna get voted as the leader and then gets zero votes at the end of it and then we'll talk about it later but ultimately you know there's kind of a downfall with set um or straff is still kind of like the one holding a lot of power um somewhat emotional power like his power is kind of lessening but like he's got this deal with Penrod, like you mentioned, um, which I really don't have a great vision of Penrod as a character. I don't know if either of y'all are curious to speak to that. Um, I do feel like I have a great picture of what Set and Straff like look and act like, you know. But Penrod is just kind of like character B to me, you know. But anyways, um, Straff holds a lot of power and a lot of wealth, so he's he's kind of influencing his power i guess with with penrod to to try and rule but anyways all that to say i do think that they are interesting and um very important characters to to our storyline so kind of you draft and set are they're, they're very necessary to the like the moral moral dilemmas that we're building into with this story they're the, the purpose they serve the the role they fill in their villainy is to make our heroes have to make really difficult decisions. I feel like that's where all of this is building is it seems to revolve around do you do the thing you know is right, but may have really bad consequences? Do you try and mitigate those really bad consequences by making shady decisions? Do you ally yourself with someone you know is evil to try and maybe get a better outcome for your people like we're we're trying to delve into those moral quandaries and set and straff are kind of the the they're, they're the consequences of of that and so we have to have them fairly fleshed out which is what the story spends a fair amount of time doing i think same with jasties as well jasties will which yeah. we find out in this episode here in a little in a couple chapters um he but from book one, he's one of the friends of Ellen, who, and they have all their moral, psychological debates about if we were in charge, this is what we'd do. Um, and we find out in the this chapter forty one, maybe forty, um, that he tried that. He went back to his dominance, and he tried to set up a government like Ellen has. And he gets betrayed by the people he set in power. The people that he elected to rule with him, betrayed him, killed his family. Um, so then he did the same to them um, and went and got a Kolos army. 
So, yes, the, the, there are several moral questions that I think are going to explode in our faces here by the end of the book. So, um, what's what do you guys think while we're talking like grander scale character relationships? Uh, what do you guys think of the the dynamic between Zane and Straff? It's just an odd one to say the least. If you could take all the elements that you can think of that define an unhealthy relationship and you put them into a father and son characters, you would get Straff and Zane. I think that's a good summary. Yeah, I think he kind of nailed it on the head. Like, in this scene, we, we find out that Zane has poisoned Straff again. Apparently, this is like, it's almost like a running joke, except that it's their life on the line. It's like every chance Zane gets, he's trying to poison Straff, but not actually really trying to kill him. It's almost like a game to him. If he wanted and to then, kill him, he it, could, right? Like, if this, right. Was, if this was genuine, he could just misborn himself and kill White him. shot, dead. Right. Like, yeah. But he's still like giving him lethal doses of poison because he's bored. Like, <laughs> and, Although... and it specifies that he's putting like a lot of time and thought into it. Right. Mm. It's not just like a joke of he uses the same poison. Oh, ha ha. And he has to cure himself. Like, like he finds like these new poisons and like tries to mask it with certain things, like make it go unnoticed by straff. <laughs> I'm like, wow, like, I don't know, that's so much, whenever he easily has the power, the strength to, to kill him, you know? So, yeah, it, it's, that's absolutely crazy. And then, apparently, I think it's towards the end of this chapter, this is one too many times for Straff, and so he decides that, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna kill him, I'm tired of having to deal with poison in my tea all the time and so we kind of i think in the chapter on straff deciding all right he i'm going to finally take him out i i kind of find it bizarre for, from a writing standpoint why are you spending time on these like poison scenes when both the reader and sometimes i think even the characters and the and the reader and the author all know that there's not much substance to to this. Like, why why is this a dynamic that we're spending time on? I do think it is contributing to some of the factors I brought up before in that this book has felt slow for me, like really slow. And that there's it's confusing because there's been action, there's been intrigue, there's been a lot going on, but I think it's things like that where I just have no uh, no emotional investment in the outcome of that. Zane and Straff are in this power struggle. They're trying to poison each other. And I'm kind of just over here like, can one of you guys kill each other already so we can move on with where we're going? Because I don't, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if but I have it, anything else to say on that one. Maybe I'll rebut myself for a second. <laughs> it... It perhaps plays into what I was talking about before of 
Brandon is clearly spending a lot of time setting up Straff and Set in specific roles. I think to be the setting in which Ellen has to make difficult moral decisions. And, and maybe it is stuff like this that, okay, we don't really care whether Zane successfully poisons Straff or not. It, it still does create the picture of the world we're in here, that the moment that we're in, that this is the kind of people that Ellen has to make decisions about. And it, it maybe tells us a little bit about the world that we would be in if Ellen handed the city over to his father. That's fair. Yeah, maybe it does give us a little bit more context on the strange, twisted people that we're dealing with. Exactly. Still bores me a little bit, but I get it. So a couple episodes ago, I think maybe three episodes ago, I talked about, or I made a prediction that Vin has run out of ATM, and I think the fact that Zane has it and Vin does not is going to be a big power dynamic moving forward. Um, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I'm wrong because of what happens here. Zane gives Vin a bead of ATM, and is it a like? Maybe I'm not wrong in that it's like a bribe. Do you guys think it's trying to like win her over or something? I mean, in a way, you could read it as him showing, like, him him showing to an extent that he is the means to provide for her. I guess, like, okay. he he's doing this whole, like, I would say, just about all of his interactions with Vin are because he's trying to convince her to run, basically, run away with him. Right. right. His goal is for them to just leave their servitude relationships to the ventures um and, and just wherever they are and just basically go live in quiet solace across the world they're strong enough they can do whatever the heck they want the two super strong misborns you know they can do whatever they want make a life for themselves i guess and just not worry about what's going on in luthadel um and i think we see that as Zane wants his freedom. He, he wants freedom from that, and he feels that's the way he can attain that. Um, I'm going to ask your question, but also answer it. Of, of My question was, why doesn't Zane just leave on his, his own, right? My understanding is it's the, quote, God or the voice in his head that's kind of driving him crazy, you know, making right. him insane. And so I don't think he just wants to go completely on his own because I feel like he would, I'm assuming he would feel like overwhelmed or like bogged down by that on his own. And so he couldn't really just run off on his own and, and live happily ever after. So he wants Vin to go with him. So, yeah. And so, so it feels like that's the driving force. So, yeah, I think, I think it is a bit of a bribe. Not entirely a bribe, but like, you know, a bit well, of a bribe. You know. And and you can think about it this way too. Back to the whole, all the elements of of an unhealthy relationship. You know, what does what what does Zane know? He he knows the like, heavily sarcastic air quotes love from his father, 
in the form of like giving him ATM. Like that's the attention he gets oh, from yeah. his father is gifts of ATM. And like he knows his father doesn't love him. He knows it's not an actual gift, but that's the kind of relationship he has. And in maybe like a, a twisted way, that is the the moment where maybe he feels a little bit of something for his father is that that giving of ATM. And so he's turning around and doing the exact same thing to Vin of make a gesture to give her ATM. Now, is it an attempt to win her over? Maybe. I think Straff thinks that when he gives it to Zane. Or is it a power play? Is it him trying to control her? Like all of the above, maybe? Yeah. That is a really interesting point that you bring up, Elliot. And I really, really like it. Of That is how he receives honestly like any kind of positive interaction with his dad exactly it's probably that like that is probably it and i mean that that makes perfect sense that that is how i mean like if you will that's how he's trying to flirt with vin maybe you know right, like yeah. that's how he's trying to show affection is like hey i i have this for this is for you you know point blank like that here you go and peace out and like like that's like the the show of affection. I've never thought of that. Of like, that's how he has had that, like, if you will, positive interaction with his father, and how that may shape how he is using this to interact with Ben. That's really insightful, and and I actually really like that thought. Yeah, me too. Elliot, you have uh, or Sir in the outline. There's a there's a scene with. Vin and Orser. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, definitely. This is this is chapter forty, where Vin is kind of recovering and and has some conversations with Orser. I think the 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 scenes with with the Chandra have been probably the most interesting for me in in this book and the bits that we've learned about them. And this was another scene where Orser lets slip some some secrets. Which I'm starting to wonder, because I think this is the second, maybe third time they've had a kind of a conversation like this where Vin is just making friends with him. And he will say things like, yeah, that's a really closely guarded secret for my people. I, if I tell you, I'd have to kill you. And then a few lines later, he like drops it or at least a hint to it or something like that. And so I, I'm not sure if like genuinely Vin's building up a relationship with him and he's opening up a bit. Or if he's intentionally dropping these bits of information, I can't quite tell. But he does give a little bit of a history lesson or maybe some hints at the past. He he says that the Lord Ruler created the Chandra, but that he made a way to control them. He doesn't allude to what that would be, but he does talk about it. And then we maybe could guess a little more about what it would be by what happens next. Vin for whatever reason. I've come to just kind of accept these moments where Vin just does reckless things. This is one of them, mm -hmm. where she just is like, hmm, I wonder what happens if I Duralamin Alamance my Chandra sitting here. Huh, let me try. Yeah, my buddy, who I've just been building up all this relational rapport with and making friends with, how about I just smash his emotions really hard right now? Okay, let's try it. And she does, and it affects him, which is interesting. He lets out, out a howl of pain, is what the book says. Yeah. Or at least 
that's what my book says. I don't know. I can never trust if our books say the same things anymore. We found too many discrepancies. I, I don't. That, that, I don't know enough about Mistborn. I there must have been like somewhere around somewhere around like the 2012, 2013 era where he, he like went in and did a major revision, and then republished the Mistborn series because that there's several discrepancies that we found. I wonder. It makes me think of uh, of Tolkien and the and the Hobbit, right? The first edition of The Hobbit that he wrote had it is rather different than the version of The Hobbit you go by today. Because when he realized he was going to write The Lord of the Rings and want to tie back to it, he was like, "Oh wait, if I'm going to do that, I got to go back and change a handful of key things." Hmm. And maybe that's what Brandon did when he realized perhaps the scope of where he was going to go with all this. He had to go back and tweak a few things. Completely guessing. I have no idea. Yeah, maybe you brought up The Hobbit, so I have to references i wasn't going to bring this up um but paul you asked what my or what my impressions of penrod was because you didn't really have a good scale for what that character is when when you said that i made me think of king dane from the hobbit because he's just like this random dude who shows up and is made king and i'm like Am I supposed to like this guy or not like this guy? I don't actually know, but he's king now, so there you go. That's that's how yeah, I feel about thank Penrod. Thank you, Dane. Did you guys see the felt sighting? I did see that, and I wrote a questioning note in my notes that I'll probably have to bring up in our, our spoiler section at the end because it was one of those, wait. I know this guy. Do I know this guy? I think I know this guy. Should I know this guy? I can I can ask my actual questions when we get to our spoiler section. Uh, for those of you who are not joining us for the spoiler section, you're not missing out on much. I promise. It's, it's <laughs> there's not much there, but I just like bringing it up. The 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 one with more impact is Ellen has received reports that people are seeing inquisitors or at least a inquisitor in the city in around critic shaw i think specifically um so what's going on there yeah i have questions about that for sure because we've kind of have we seen any inquisitors this whole book like besides we went and investigated their stronghold okay marsh right we he's our buddy he's fine he's fine okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm trying to reassure myself yes uh-huh. i'm trying to reassure myself yeah okay marsh and says that go explore the creepy torture dungeon but have we seen any actual quiz I, I i don't recall any so this seemed important when we saw it, it was we we've deliberately not seen them it's not that they've been absent it's that they've been missing like right they Marsh says, I wonder where all the Inquisitors are, they're, but they're clearly not here. So so I, I do feel like they kind of just disappeared off the face of the Earth and are hiding somewhere. Um, so it's interesting that we maybe saw one lurking at Kredik Shah. What if, what if they all sprinted off to go guard the Well of Ascension? Ooh. Because I... 
I've been rather suspicious about this because we ended the last book with this whole, yay, we defeated the Lord Ruler and a bunch of Inquisitors. There's no more bad guys. Oh, wait, there's actually like 10 or so more Inquisitors still out there. We're going to have to deal with those at some point. I think somebody says that specifically. Yeah. And then here we are two thirds of the way through this book and we haven't even seen one. Hmm. And so I'm I'm now rather scared of where are they? When will we have to deal with them? Apparently one's in the city, but yeah, I'm I'm ready to throw out a theory. Maybe they'll know something's up and they ran off to go guard the well of ascension for some reason. Mm, interesting. I, the book's called The Well of Ascension, and we keep hearing the well of ascension. But at no at no point have we any made any footsteps towards said well of ascension. I, I mean, says it in Tindwell are sitting reading about it, I guess. But uh, we're about, we're we're halfway through part four, and the title of the book is yet to be relevant. I kind of I, I feel like this should be called the Siege of Luthadel or something like that. That's actually a good point. Like it is called the Well of Ascension, and you, and you mentioned that we've seen it a lot. I feel like we haven't seen it all that much. Like we haven't. I mean, I don't remember most notably where we see it. Like I, I know we have heard mention of the Well of Ascension, right? Do we hear that? But I'm like, it's not that big of a big of a deal, right? You know? I mean, the only like we've heard a lot more of like the Hero of Ages. I feel like than we have the Well of Ascension, right? You know, I was also thinking about that. I wonder what it would be like to read this book without knowing the next book is called The Hero of Ages. Because I think I feel like knowing that gives you more weight to that title. But if you didn't know what like that 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 title meant like something big or something I I wonder what it would be like to know what the third book was not or without knowing what the third book was going to be called. But anyway, um, anytime that we get Vin alone in the mists, she always thinks to herself, man, I can't stop hearing the well of Ascension. Anyway, back to other things like that. That's all we've really gotten about the well of Ascension. Should we talk about Ellen and a Colos camp? This, this was a pretty, pretty reckless thing to do for Ellen, in my opinion. Like this is this is what I expect a a Vin or a, a Kelsier to do. Yeah. And I feel like Ellen, who's usually the fairly careful one, just decides to all right, I'm going. I'm, go I'm all in. Let's go. And I, I feel it, like it it's not only turned out better than it could have. Yeah, it's not only one rash decision. It's like three. Back to back, he walks into the Kolos camp, threatens Jastes with a knife in front of his soldiers, and then attacks a Kolos, and he has no idea how that's going to turn out. Like, what? Why? <laughs> what are we doing? He he does get a hold of some fairly useful information, so I guess paid off. I guess that and the whole. The whole reasoning he has for attacking the Colossus at the end of the chapter is, man, I just did something really reckless and nothing good came of it. So I guess I should 
do something more reckless so that I can actually gain some good information. And it works, but I I mean, he he's so he finds out that Jassy's is paying the Coloss with fake money because apparently they want to be human or they are human, quote unquote. Um which is valuable information for Ellen because then maybe he could do the same thing. Maybe they the Coloss show up at his doorstep and he says what if I paid you real money instead of your fake money or something like that? Um, so, I, I mean, it, it works out for him, I guess, good for him. That reveal was kind of a little disappointing for me, and I don't know why. It, it seems perfectly fine, but that we, we've built these Coloss up as these crazy war machine, destructive, them... And then the answer for how Jastes is controlling them is he's paying them. Yeah. I For some reason, I expected a much more convoluted answer to that. I was expecting a much more paying them, paying them with Monopoly money seems small potatoes. But I guess if it works... And maybe it does come, you know, become a major plot point. Like you said, maybe that's a a step along the way to like civilization in their minds. They're thinking, oh, we're getting paid for our services. This means we're no longer barbarians. We're actually a people now. Maybe it does have significance to it, but it just kind of seemed like a, oh, you're controlling your army by paying them. That makes way too much sense. I I think that's funny. I I like what you're saying there. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have too much to add on that. I just it is it is really funny. Honestly, that's some I did not remember. I remember Jasty's being just like super stressed, like super worried. You know, like it's obviously taking a toll on him, like physically and mentally, to like hold control of this army and like get all these things done. And then, and then it's the like you said, monopoly money. I think that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what to say about it. It's, it's like, I don't know. I, like, I feel like all you have to do to destroy his entire army is go in there and say, point out, like, oh, that isn't real money. Here's a real one, and then like downfall of his army. They just all turn around and leave, or riot, or. Everything, you know, no yeah. more Coloss army. I don't know if I gave more weight to the Coloss army as a threat or less after that scene, but uh, it, it it certainly gave us a way to influence them, which we were asking for. So they're, I they're think still it... Bokoblins in my mind. Just yeah. throwing that out there again. That is funny. I I do what you were saying of them kind of feeling more like a people group than barbarians if you will is my guesstimation as to like why why that is the case or why they would choose that but yeah no it, it's very well could not be you know but yeah but that that's the only thing that I could think of like that's the only thing that makes sense to me is there's somewhere in their their brains is that like desire to be a I don't know, a recognized people or something. Yeah. Are we ready for the final scene of the episode? Oh, yeah. 
So for like the fifth or fourth or fifth time this book, Zane asks Vin, what would you do if you could do whatever you wanted? Why, why do you keep getting manipulated? And for whatever reason, I mean, there is a reason, but it's finally this time that Vin's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Let's go kill people. So they go kill people and they, they hit set. The, their goal is to hit set as hard as they can so that they will leave Ellen alone. And whether that happens has remained to be seen, but they certainly hit set quite hard. They run from the bottom up of his keep hasting, um, which he's been sitting in for a while. And they kill a bunch of his soldiers. Like Vin even stops and thinks to herself that Kelsey used to have problems with like 12 haze killers and she kills 50 within about five seconds. So that's, uh, that's something. And there's some, there's some very interesting descriptors, which I want to read at the end of this scene. But um, before we get there, do you guys have any input on the, the attack on keep hasting? Just kind of an initial reaction and in that there's some really vivid scenes like descriptions in this section. I could I could just picture this attack really well. I, I can imagine Vin shattering this stained glass window inward on all these haze killers and then using all that embedded like metal in amongst them to shoot 50 haze killers out one side of the building while kind of pushing herself out to the other. Like I can just imagine that scene of all of them flying out the side of a, of a building in the, in the middle of the night. I don't remember if it was middle of the night, but that it is was in my head. So just, I don't know, some, again, somewhat brutal scenes here, but pretty, pretty interesting and, and fascinating from like an action scene side of things. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. She uh, jumps out a stained glass window, a broken stained glass window for the second time in two books. So check that off the list. I, I chuckled that a little bit, and I'm now going to be very much on the lookout for that in the next book. Is is that like a a requirement of a Mistborn Era 1 book is you have to have a Vin Shatter's giant stained glass window scene because we are two for two. Yep. Actually, I, I think, think it is a requirement. I think we're three for two. Isn't there a stained glass window with the Lord Ruler? Yeah. And she jumps in it? I think there's two. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're actually two two scenes in the first book, and then here's our first one in the second book. Okay. Here's what I would like to read. Quote um, in my book, it's on 538. Vin has just jumped into Set's room, and she it has... It has dawned on her that he's not a Mistborn. He's not an actual threat anymore. He's already, she's already had her conversation with Set. Set says, any Alamancer I had, I sent against you back in Chapter 2. Um, I am just here to get whatever I can, like whatever ATM I can grab and run is basically the only thing I'm, I'm here to do anymore. Um, and so Vin has made the decision that he, she's not going to kill set and then this happens 
Burning boards, splinters, nails, and shingles sprayed in the air, flying around a man in black. Zane stood sideways in the room beyond, death strewn at his feet, hands at his sides. Red streamed from the tips of his fingers, running in a steady drip. He looked up through burning remnants of the wall, smiling. Then he stepped towards Set's room. No, Vin said, dashing at him. Vin paused. Surprised, he stepped to the side, easily dodging Vin. Zane, leave them, Vin, er, Vin said, turning toward him. Pushing herself in a skid across the room, she reached for his arm. The black fabric glistened wet with blood that was only his own. And I wanted to highlight that because, A, it's a really interesting... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Read me the last oh, sentence. Oh no! Again. No way! Please. No way! Okay, this last one. My dear listener, these are not intentional. We don't plan these. We have you really don't. We have plucked three random quotes in the last five Mistborn <laughs> episodes, and they've all been different. As what I'm assuming is going to happen. Uh, she reached for his arm. The black fabric glistened wet with blood that was only his own. You're sure you're reading it right. That's what it says. Okay. Ready for mine? Oh, boy. <laughs> she reached for his arm. The black fabric glistened wet with blood. None of it his own. It's the opposite. Yeah. For, right? for the record, me listening to the audiobook, I specifically remember it being none of his own as well. I don't think that's true, Paul. I, I think it is his I think, own in I think the book. it is. Because this is the older version, and the audiobook would be the older version. Maybe. I feel like I remember it being not his blood. But so I mean, I mean I'd have to go I'd have to go listen to that back. This is oh, this is so weird because the reason why I read this passage is because I wanted to highlight the fact that it's been told to us before that Zane self-inflicts harm on his arms and i wanted to highlight this because how is he standing in the side like sideways in the room this sounds like a lashing for like mild wave king's prologue spoilers like that this is this is zeth standing like on the side of the hallway type stuff like is there like, yes, he's misborn, so but he's standing sideways in the room. I don't that am I reading this wrong? Is he just standing like not facing Vin or what's going on here? That that that's how I read it was not that style on the side of the wall. And only that he's like yeah, you're you're looking at his shoulders. Okay. He's he's like, you know got some kind of epic pose where he's sideways arms raised and blood dripping off him but maybe i'm incorrect and he is standing on the wall that's what it sounds like to me standing sideways in the room but it it, it could be interpreted either way anyway back to this discrepancy thing Mine specifically says blood that was only his own, and yours says blood that was none of his own? Exactly. None of it his own. So, 
the way I read it in my book is the only blood that he's getting on himself is blood that he's cutting himself with in relation to his voice in his head thing. And like, while he was in this room, there was something weird going on with him and the voice in his head. And like, this is like demonic Zane walking through the door with fire everywhere. That's the way I interpreted it. But blood that is only his own would just interpret it that as he's just killed a lot of people and some he did it with his bare hands. That that's uh, what I remember reading. That's why I'm saying I remember that vividly is because I remember it being like there's blood on his hands from the fight, like from him killing people. Like, right. So, yeah. Yeah. The my version, which again I think is from a 2019 mm-hmm. mass market edition that I have in my hand here. It, it's just it's rather gory, but it's just he was in battle, he's covered in the blood of his enemies. Right. Your version, if you think about it, is like darker right. in a way of he defeated his enemies and still covered himself in his own blood or potentially them all and is covered in his own blood, I guess maybe. But yeah, I, I would I would go down the path, the, the thought train you were going down if I had read your version. Right. I I assumed this had to do with, you know, the voice in his head telling him to slit his arms or something like that, and he's in there doing a satanic ritual. Somebody out there who knows the history of the writing of of these books needs to to pipe in and explain to us why why our editions are so different. I have questions. I'm going to do some research on the discrepancies between Mistborn and Prince. I joked about that in the beginning of this episode, and we found another one. That's that's crazy. Anything else before a Stormlight spoiler? All right, quick vote. Stormlight spoilers. Uh, is Zane lashing himself to the wall, yes or no? Or is he just standing sideways? Am I boring? Or is it exciting? I think it's boring. I think he's just standing. I think so, too. Like, I, not facing Vin. The more I think about it, I think you guys are correct, but... It says standing sideways in the room. And that's certainly how Zeth would be described as standing sideways in the hallway. So I'll, I'll have my I head mean, that is... that he's lashing himself. But anyway. If there wasn't a way to do that fairly conveniently with this magic system, then I would fully give it to you. I'd be like, wow. Yeah, that's wild. Lashings. But he's probably just pulling himself or whatever. Like, iron pulling or whichever one it is <clears throat> right he's just doing misborn things right I mean Kelsier was flying but like because he was pushing and pulling stuff all the time you know which to be fair there was like an orbit of items around him to showcase that but you know right <clears throat> any thoughts on Felt Felt is the dude who goes with Dalinar to um the Night Watcher in Oathbringer. Um, and he shows up in one scene in the first book and one scene here so far in the Well of Ascension. I, I vaguely remembered that, some kind of association with Dalinar. Here, here's my question that we've probably talked about before and it's just lost in 
my too many memories of trying to keep all these books straight. Do we have any kind of indication about the where this book and our Stormlight books are on the timeline relative to each other? Yeah. Uh, Mistborn is well before Stormlight. Mistborn is closer to the Recreants than it is to the Way of Kings. Okay. That's kind of what I guessed. I, I guessed that they were not in the same, like, decade. And it seems like you're telling me, yeah, me, many years apart. Right. So, so to have a character in both, if it truly is the same character, does raise some additional questions for me of, like, is this dude human? Right. I have no way to answer those or even take a guess at answering them. But, like... Did we find our yeah. contract? I, I I wrote that in my notes. It was like Chandra, perhaps? I mean, that's kind of on our minds, so I feel like I'm biased a little bit towards that. Right. But, like, you know, Leapless is another mm. direction you could go. Anything else, gentlemen? All I had. All right. We will be ending part four next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. Farewell. Yeah.